In 2012, the Department of Health and Human Services conducted random HIPAA audits of 115 covered entities as part of an Office for Civil Rights pilot program. In the months to come, OCR is expected to formalize a permanent program that will include random HIPAA audits of covered entities and business associates. I'm Marian Kolbesak McGee, Managing Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Mark Dill, Director of Information Security at the Cleveland Clinic. Mark will describe how his organization prepares for possible HHS audits and tips for providing the kind of documentation that HHS looks for in HIPAA-related inquiries. Hi, Mark. Hi, Marianne. So now, Mark, what types of requests for information from HHS related to HIPAA audits or inquiries are you most concerned about and or preparing for? Well, I think our concerns at Cleveland Clinic are the same that every provider should be thinking about. The, the boundary around the regulations, HIPAA, high-tech, meaningful use, joint commission, you know, and soon to be the omnibus rule is kind of the landscape that we could be audited for. And inquiries or audits are often the result of patient complaints, whether they are founded or unfounded, minor incidents, you know, breaches that are under 500 records, the drastic major incident uh, above 500 records, or as you mentioned, uh, at random and you have an opportunity to develop a book of evidence that kind of showcases your program, control effectiveness, and I think that's the way to address the problem. Now, based on any experience that you've had in dealing with HHS, how do you think organizations should best prepare for possible HIPAA security audits or inquiries? What practices do you have in place? Well, first of all, if you go back to, you know, the regulations, you're required by law to maintain certain evidence, whether it's your risk analysis and management plan or copies of your policies and procedures, even your awareness records, things like that. Uh, it's basically the right thing to do. You're required to be doing it anyway. So much of what they're asking for, you should already have prepared. If you haven't received the letter that you're going to be audited, either remotely or on-site, you have a chance to be proactive so that you can minimize the time required when you go to gather this evidence. If you get a letter, it's going to be time-bound so that the clock is ticking once you're notified. You'll have between probably two and four weeks to gather the evidence, and even less time perhaps if a regulator shows up on-site as a result of a major complaint or a major breach. You really want to understand any gaps you have in your program in advance. The wrong time to figure that out is when you've been notified that you're being audited. You want to avoid being overwhelmed and under-impressive because perception is reality. If you look disorganized, Health and Human Services is going to think that you are. And frankly, the quality of your documentation will help Keep the audit remote if it starts remote so that it doesn't end up on-site. And if you do end up with on-site auditors, uh, you want to minimize the time spent. It's simply one way to uh, better manage your risk. So now, based on the 115 audits that HHS has performed in its pilot HIPAA audit program last year, risk assessments were a weak spot at many organizations. What are some of your practices and suggestions about making sure risk assessments are thorough and timely? Well, actually, the, the requirement is that you perform a risk analysis, which is one more layer in depth than an assessment. And you're supposed to have done this every three years uh, since 2005 
or when you have a technology change. They do recommend some methodology. Uh, there's more than one way to display your results of a risk analysis, but HIPAA points to the NIST Special Publication 800-30 as the format that is suggested, and I believe that they would prefer it in that presentation. We use an improved format that's based on this standard. Now, if you, if you look at the timeline for compliance where the first formal analysis was required in 2005, and using that three-year benchmark, you should have 05, 2008, 2011, and 2014 as tabs in your book of evidence at a minimum for having conducted this enterprise-wide analysis. Now, it's hard to believe that some of the first 115 have been caught without that documentation. They may have had some conversations, which are an assessment, but what's required is an analysis that's formal and in writing. If you read 800-30, it can be daunting. You, know, you, you should know how to do this yourself, though, and if you're just starting out, there's many qualified third parties that can do this analysis with you and teach you how to sustain it and repeat it. Plus, if you partner with a reputable consultant or firm, the results seem to carry a little more weight in the form of third-party attestation. Good consultants usually confirm 80% of what you know, but they reveal 20% of what you didn't know. And depending upon who you pick, if they could even do some peer comparisons to rank you against your peers, gives you a really clear picture of where your compliance and security gaps might be. Now, one step better than that, uh, something we've done, if you actually create a written schedule for how other activities, such as external or internal audits, penetration tests, vulnerability assessments, technology proofs of concepts and their results, maybe some internal control effectiveness tests, your disaster recovery program is doing business impact analysis. Even when you review your business associate contracts and maybe their security profiles, if you put all that down in a schedule and then detail out who's responsible for it, when do you plan to complete it, what's the status of each line item, you know, did you do it or not, you can demonstrate a maturing program that's holistic, it's enterprise-wide, it's formal because it's in writing, it's continuous and not ad hoc. It really gives you, uh, gives HHS the sense that you have a self-initiated program instead of a simple task or checklist approach to compliance. Besides risk assessments, what other trouble spots do you think organizations should be paying most attention to when it comes to dealing with a possible HIPAA audit or a request for information or a breach investigation? Well, first of all, you know, the risk analysis itself, the documentation is core because if you look at HIPAA, it's been prioritized in terms of what matters most and risk analysis, risk management, governance are all early in the regulation. So it's, it's vitally important, but it doesn't have to be sophisticated. Having your risk register documented in a spreadsheet is at a minimum what you need. It gives you a chance to document your business decisions, and perhaps as importantly, which risks your organization is willing to accept and why. But the next question that's going to be asked, likely, is have you analyzed the most common threats? If you're having an on-site audit as a result of a breach, say it was sensitive data on a thumb drive that wasn't encrypted, they're going to want to look or have you point to that spot in the risk analysis where you made the business decision to apply encryption on mobile media, yes or no. You have to be aware of what appear to be the systematic weaknesses 
in, in all of healthcare. It's about theft and loss of laptops and mobile media that are missing encryption. Backup tapes, even though they only cause 1% of the breaches, they're causing about 30% of the records to be lost, you know, because of the density of the data. Access control weaknesses affect healthcare and every other business sector. It leads to unauthorized access, which is also high on the root cause of breaches in healthcare. And you can't forget about paper. Paper causes 24% of the breaches out there. So you have to have a little bit of that knowledge as well. If you just Google the search term HHS, uh, HHS breach tool, you will get this running tally of all the breaches that have occurred in healthcare since uh, 2009. So being aware of that. And finally, you have to be aware also of what others have been asked for, uh, the risk analysis, policies, even back as far as 2005. Since some of these events take so long to play out and be discovered, if you're investigated about a breach that occurred three years ago or longer, you're going to be asked to produce the version of the policy that you had in place at that time. Also, awareness training. A lot of the 115 that have been audited thus far had not even conducted awareness training or had no records to prove it. You should be able to produce a class roster that shows all the workers. You should be able to produce uh, some documentation that shows that you have an awareness program, not just the checklist that, yes, we told employees, you know, what matters most. All those things are, are definitely important. Now, who should be involved with the documentation within an organization? And you have any tips on how to compile this and have it ready? Well, the information security and privacy and perhaps compliance departments are, are the core toward gathering the evidence. But when you produce the book of evidence, technicians will want to be verbose and they'll want to put everything in the kitchen sink into this documentation set. It really has to be a conversation with a variety of stakeholders, human resources, professional staff affairs, the law department, compliance, privacy, information security, some business units, and uh, IT, your IT organization. They can gather the details that are necessary, and you can have a, a conversation with leadership about what's the right evidence to leave the regulator with no reasonable doubt that you have a policy, you have a procedure, you've analyzed the risk, and that you've implemented your policies with the right safeguards to manage your risk down to a reasonable level. Do you have any other suggestions what others should be thinking of in terms of the processes and practices they should have in place now in order to be prepared for a possible HIPAA security audit? Well, being proactive, if you haven't gotten a letter yet, you could. You know, there's 6,000 hospitals. You know, you could roll the dice and gamble with it a little bit, but I wouldn't. I'd take the time to be proactive. I would uh, develop the book of evidence to include what others have been asked for, but prioritize that list in accordance with your own capabilities, you know, in accordance with your knowledge of your own gaps and weaknesses. If you Google Piedmont HIPAA audit, you'll find a list of 42 questions that were part of the evidence that was required in the first audit, and that list, of course, has been enhanced since KPMG is now involved in the current audit process. Really documenting all your risk management decisions and centralizing your documentation repository. I have a toolbox that is very simple, Microsoft Office Suite, SharePoint, uh, Adobe Acrobat, the full version so I can bookmark. I have a whole process that, without breaking the bank, can gather the right details and put it in a great format that works. In fact, 
if any of your audience wants my list of evidence that I think is important to collect, they're welcome to contact me at, at my email address, dillum, D-I-L-L-M, at ccf.org, clevelandclinicfoundation.org. I gave a talk very similar to this at the Hims conference in New Orleans in preparation for that. I have what's been asked by most of those 115 early audit, auditees, I guess you call them. Happy to share it. Was your organization one of the 115 that got the pilot audit? No, we were not. We're choosing to be proactive, though, and have our documentation in a relatively ready state on the proactive side of this equation rather than, you know, we've heard stories of early audits where boxes of paper were thrown at a regulator, and that will just annoy the people that pay a large percentage of the revenue of of many hospitals and providers. Our preferred approach is neat, clean, organized, evidence that is direct, it is pertinent to the questions being asked, and we hope to be prepared for that should it happen. Thanks, Mark. I've been speaking to Mark Dill of the Cleveland Clinic. I'm Marian Kobasek-McGee for Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.